So I want to start by kind of telling you a little bit, a little story of something that happened to us while we're on the trip. Uh, as you know, like I said, we traveled from Montana to Wyoming. We spent some time in Wyoming. Uh, her aunt and uncle have a place down there. It's about 120, 20 acre place. He's got horses, cows, pigs. I think there were some turkeys running around. He's got it all. Okay. One of the things my kids love to do when they go to Wyoming is to ride these two ponies. Okay. They're miniature ponies. That's very important. Hold on to that for a minute. Okay. Miniature ponies. All right. We're not talking big horses. We're talking horses that don't stand any higher than that. Okay. Now, if you talk to my kids, my kids will tell you that they are their horses. What are the horses' names? Zachariah, Josiah, Samson, and Samuel, and what's the other one? Goliath. So we have Goliath and we have Samson. Very strong names from Intraponis, okay? <clears throat> I want to give you just a little bit of background because I think you will better understand everything that is just, just fixing to transpire, okay? So there's two ponies. One's named Goliath, the other Samson. Goliath is a nice pony, okay? He's kind of old. He does what he's supposed to do, and he's easy to take care of. The other one, on the other hand, his name is Samson. He is a bit difficult, okay? He's pretty smart, and he knows how to work the system, okay? So while we're down there, uh, her uncle, my wife's uncle, decides that it's time to let the kids ride the ponies. So we go out. We bring all the horses in because you can't just bring one horse in. You've got to bring them all in because that's just the way they've been trained. You get behind him with a four-wheeler, they all start running for the corral. And he's got like, you know, ten big horses too. So we get them all in the corral. And then we have the process of trying to separate the little horses from the big horses. Now, like I said, Goliath is easy. We walk in, put a halter on him, we get him out, no problem. He's ready to go. Samson, on the other hand, like I said, he's smart. We're trying to chase this miniature pony around the corral, trying to corral him. He figures out that if he gets on the backside of one of the bigger horses, guess what? We can't get to him. So, there are three adults in this corral chasing this little pony around. Eventually, we decide we got to get the big horses out. Now, it's just us and the miniature pony. We're still chasing him around the corral. We can't get him. Eventually, we, head him, we get him headed straight for a corner, and my daughter sticks her hand through and starts petting him, and he stops immediately. It's like, well, why didn't we just start with letting her get him to begin with? You know what I'm saying? There was something about kids and the pony. The pony liked little kids. He didn't like, he didn't like adults. All right, so we get the pony, we get them out, we get them saddled, we take the kids for a ride, we, we walk them around the front yard, we walk them down the driveway. I, I don't know who, it was more work for me than it was for, you know, for the, for the kids. They're riding, thinking they're cowboys, and here I am bleeding this horse, you know. <laughs> Come on, Dad, let's keep going. I'm not walking any faster, you know what I'm saying? And so we start the process of coming back. We're going to put them back in the corral. Of course, I get there first because I'm walking Samson. Samson walks a little faster than Goliath. Goliath, after about, I don't know, 15 minutes of this, realizes this is a bunch of junk, and he don't want to do it no more, so he slows way down. Okay, that's about what we get. So I get back to the ranch way faster than they do because, like I said, Samson, he's a little bit younger. He's ready to go home because he's not having this either. He's just ready to go home. So we get in there. I hand him off to Uncle Rob, and Uncle Rob takes him to the hitching, hitching post, and then I get a call from my wife saying, hey, can you come back and help me? The kids have... Uh, did something with the saddle to where it turned sideways and they kind of fell off. I'm like, okay. So I jump on a four-wheeler. I go back down there. I four-wheeler over to the kids and to my wife. I grab the pony, walk the pony back. Now, while I went and did that, Uncle Robin was with Samson. He, t he tied the horse to the hitching rail. Apparently, though, that horse went under the hitching rail, hooked the saddle horn on the hitching rail, and then ripped it off. 
So the reason I bring that up is Uncle Robin was already irritated at this horse. Okay? So he doesn't really like this horse. It's not his favorite horse. Okay? So he just broke one of his saddles. He's beginning to get irritated with this horse. So we start the process. We get the saddles off. We put them away. We're taking the horses back to the corral. This is where the story gets good. We start walking. Of course, I have Goliath, the good pony. I walk him straight in, put him in the corral. No problem. Take the halter off. We're good. Uncle Robin is walking Samson. Now, the whole time I walked Samson, I understood that he was kind of leading me. I didn't want to fight him over it. Okay? I knew what he was doing was wrong, but I wasn't going to fight the horse with my kid on his, on his back. So we just kind of, we kind of had an agreement and we made it work. The horse had irritated Uncle Robin and it started to lead Uncle Robin. Now, I got to add one more small detail so you get the full picture. Uncle Robin has just had surgery on his arm. So it is in a sling. He only has one good arm. Okay? So he's walking this horse back to the corral. And the horse is excited, wants to go back to the corral, starts to lead him. Well, Uncle Robin's not going to have that. Okay? Like I said, he's already irritated this pony. So he starts kind of hitting him with the rope to get him to back up. Well, that horse decided he didn't like that. So he went around Uncle Robin like this, goes around the other direction, flings him around like this, and takes off running. Now, if you had just had shoulder surgery, what would you have done with the rope? Let go, right? Hmm, not Uncle Robin. Nope, not going to happen. There was no way this horse was going to get the better of him. So this horse takes off running, and I'm you know, probably 20, 30 feet a little further down at the corral, holding the gate shut, waiting for him to come. And all of a sudden, you can see him start speeding up, and it's getting out of control, okay? He comes by me, and he goes, Asa, grab him, quick. So the way my wife explains this is, is I almost went Superman, jumping out to try to grab this rope. I managed to get a hand on it, but it wasn't enough to hold this pony. Like I said, it's a miniature pony. You wouldn't believe how much strength they got. A miniature pony. I wish I had a picture to show you, okay? I grab it. And I hold on for maybe, maybe three seconds. He knocks me into the dirt. And, of course, where we're walking is completely covered in cow, you know what? Cow poop. Cow poop, thank you. So I land in the cow poop. I do a, a tuck and roll kind of thing. I've got it everywhere. I tore my jeans. My, my elbow was all scratched up. And I look, and Uncle Robin has still not let go of the rope. Only he's no longer standing up. He is face first, being drugged by the horse probably 50 to 60 feet. He never let go of the rope. Ever. So eventually the pony realizes that he don't want to drag him off anymore and stops. <coughs> so Uncle Robin is just stretched out on the ground. He's been just plowing through the cow poop for probably 30, 40, whatever. He's covered in it from head to toe. I get up finally and I run around and I the rope and I grab it and so now I got the horse of course now the horse is like well what now you know and I'm not sure if Uncle Robin is or alive at this point or what exactly is going on because he didn't just pop up he kind of laid there for a minute okay so finally he sits up and I'm pretty sure that if Uncle Robin had probably had a gun at that point he probably would have got rid of that pony okay but then at that point, my wife runs in and helps him up and says, do you need to go to the hospital? And of course, he's like, no, I'm, I mean, as you can tell, he's still just covered. So I get the horse, put it back in the pen. And he does fine after that. We walk back. He gets all cleaned up. The evening ends. So Uncle Robin just rope 
burned the heck out of his hand. I mean, I don't think I've seen one that bad. <laughs> okay? He had skin that was peeled up all over. So he's got one in a cast, or one in a sling, and then he had this one wrapped all the way up his arms. So he looked like this that evening. Okay? He couldn't hardly move because he had this one all bandaged up here. So when he took a drink of water, he'd go like this, and that's how he would drink. Okay? The reason I tell you that story, first of all, I thought it was, at the moment it wasn't hilarious, but then it became hilarious the more I thought about it. But do you ever, do you ever feel like sometimes that life drags you through the cow dung? You know what I'm saying? Yeah, life does. And the sins and things of this world are just in your face all the time, and you're doing everything you can to hold on to that rope, hold on to Jesus, and you're hoping that eventually the ride stops, okay? And I thought it was a great analogy, because that's kind of what we're seeing here when we're going to jump into our scripture here in Habakkuk. Habakkuk is talking to God and saying, how long are you going to, are you going to allow this to happen? How long are you going to let them drag us through the cow, the cow pies, okay? Have you ever wanted to have a conversation with somebody? If there was anybody in the world that you could have a conversation with, who would it be? I like that. Jesus, there we go. It's like maybe you heard me practice a sermon yesterday. If I had a choice, I would love to have a sit-down conversation with, with Jesus. I think that would be awesome. Uh, for a couple of reasons. One is, I believe, well... I would have a lot of questions, a lot of questions, okay? But more than that, I think it would be interesting because you could sit down, ask him questions, and the answers he would give you would be perfect. You know what I'm saying? You know, sometimes you ask advice from people and you kind of have to take it with a grain of salt. If Jesus is giving you advice on something, guess what? You don't have to take it with a grain of salt. You know it's the right way, okay? So, So what kind of questions would you ask him? If it was me, I'd probably have a lot of questions. Uh, things like, why is there so much pain in the world? Why are you, when are you coming back? Another good one is, who is the Antichrist? Wouldn't that be nice to know? And another one I would add in there is, why, why did you make wives so complicated? Okay? But what we have here is we have a man, Habakkuk, who is complaining to God. And then the amazing part here is that God answers back. Okay? So Habakkuk poses a question to God in the form of a complaint, and then you have the answer that God gives him. Now, wouldn't that be cool? You have such a relationship that you can do that. So let's jump into the first chapter of Habakkuk, verse, chapter 1, verse 2. And this is the question. How long, Lord, must I cry out for help, but you won't listen? I am crying out to you, oppression, but you aren't providing deliverance. Why are you forcing me to look at iniquity and stare at wickedness? Social havoc and oppression are all around me. There are legal conflicts and disputes. Therefore, the law has become paralyzed and justice never comes about because criminals outnumber the righteous. Whenever judgments are issued, they come out crooked. Well, that doesn't sound like anything that's going on in our world, does it? Not at all. Now, there's a couple aspects, there's a couple things from the aspect of the character and the boldness of Habakkuk. First, I want to point out the fact that Habakkuk has such a relationship with his Lord 
that he's having a conversation with God and he is answering back. And what seems like an audible voice. Now, I have felt the Lord speaking through the Bible, but I've never actually had him speak to me in an audible, out loud voice. So that's a pretty awesome thing, to have a relationship with our Heavenly Father to where he's actually answering back in an audible voice. Um, it's not something that happened a lot in the Bible, but there are a few I can think of. Um, if you remember Adam and Adam, the first man, God kind of walked and talked with him in the garden. You know what I'm saying? And then, of course, sin messed all that up. And then uh, another one I remember is Moses. Moses actually had a conversation with God and actually changed God's mind about destroying the Israelites. That's a whole nother sermon right there. Okay? Arguing to protect the Israel. Anyway, yeah, another whole nother sermon. What a concept. Now, I believe that the Lord is still speaking. I, th I think sometimes, though, we're just not listening. Okay? I think sometimes that we are so busy that we can't really even hear God's voice. Uh, when I go down to visit my, my grandparents in Texas, one of the things they love to do is to sit on their front porch early in the morning. Okay? It's a concept that I don't really get to enjoy uh, with, my, with, with my family up here. Why? Because, well, I love them to death, but I have kids. Okay? And if I'm home and if dad has gone for more than 30 seconds, that means that somebody better search, send out a search party and find out where dad went. Because he may be doing something cool that I'm missing out on. Okay? So to be, have the ability to sit on a front porch and just listen is not something I get to enjoy often. Now, when I go visit my grandparents in Texas, usually it's just me, and we get to sit on the front porch, I'm telling you there is something about sitting there in the quiet. Okay? Not having something to do, just sitting and listening. If you have your Bible, you would be amazed at the quiet time that you can have if you're just sitting there listening. I think we miss that sometimes. Because I know in my own life, I get busy, real busy. So, so busy that I actually forget to take the time to even listen. Okay? So we need to get to the point in our relationship with him that when he does speak, we can listen and we can hear. Habakkuk was listening and he was listening well. But he takes it a step further and he really poses his question in the form of complaint. He has complained about the injustice and the sin of the world around him. We don't do that, do we? Complain about that? No, all the time. And basically, he says, Lord, how long are you going to put up with sin? I love the way that Al the Albert Barnes commentary puts it. Punishment does not come without sin, nor does sin endure without punishment. It is one object of the Old Testament to exhibit the connection between sin and punishment. So if there's sin, there's going to be what? Punishment. And if there's punishment, there's going to be sin. All right? I thought that was pretty good. So... But scary at the same time if you really think about that. So if there's sin, there's going to be punishment. Mm, okay. Shows what we're heading for eventually, right? Basically, it's saying that sin has to have a punishment. It seems like a strange complaint from a man of God. But let's be honest. How many times have we done the same thing when we look around at our world and see the injustice and the sin and the pain that is in it? You know, one of the interesting things when we left here and went to uh, Montana and Wyoming, you, you get a sense of things aren't quite as bad. Let me try to preface that a little bit better. Um, it seems like in the, in the Northwest, the sin and depravity is always in your face all the time. Okay? Uh, the Northwest likes to try to push that envelope to try to be the all-inclusive and everything. Okay? When you get to Wyoming and Montana, it seems like they still have some kind of moral base. And it's interesting because I'm not sure how many of them are actually Christians, but that moral base is still there. 
So it was almost it was almost a culture shock for me while I was there because we all agreed on a lot of things. I'm like, wow, I don't even know these people and I agree with them. You know what I'm saying? So sometimes when I'm here in the Northwest, it can get to the point where uh, I get a little worn down and I get a little tired because, like I said, it's always right there in my face. Whether it's on social media, it's in the news, whatever, it's always right there. And I get to the point when I'm living here that I have that same thing. Lord, how long are you going to put up with this? You know what I'm saying? How long is this sin and this depravity that's going on, is it, is it going to last? Because the truth of the matter is, if I was God, I probably would have wiped us all out and started over again. You know what I'm saying? As I've learned on this trip, my patience does have an end. Okay? Uh, you know, I dented the truck. Was fine. Truck exploded with coolant. Was fine. The four-wheel drive decided not to work. Was fine. The seatbelt that my son was riding in broke. I lost it. Okay? My patience has an end. All right? And I don't know if it was the seatbelt or was my wife telling me that I should apologize for the way I acted. Mm-hmm. Yep. My kids still remember it. Dad, you threw your hat and you knocked the tuner off the dash. Well, you know what? Add it to the rest of the stuff that's broken on this truck. Okay? So I'm not sure I could be as long-suffering as the Lord is. Okay? But God's not like that, is he? He's long-suffering. He has a plan. But don't think for a moment he's going to let us get away with our sin. Which is why I like this book so much. Habakkuk gets an answer, but it's not exactly what he's expecting. Now before, we, now, before we move on, I want to make it clear that Habakkuk had a heart for his people. I think that's incredibly important. He had a heart for his people. It says in the Quest Bible that he very well could have been praying this prayer in chapter 1 for at least 12 years. Okay, that's pretty impressive. Praying the same prayer, looking for that answer for 12 years. Okay? <coughs> Excuse me, I'm going to be my dad for a minute. <clears throat> Habakkuk just wanted his people to be drawn back to the Lord. And isn't that what we want as well for our country? So the lesson there is don't quit praying. Okay? Keep praying, keep praying, keep praying. <clears throat> the problem here is, is that God does not always work the way we want or gives exactly what we ask for. So as my dad says, you need to be careful what you ask for or what you wish for. So let's look at the answer. So we understand the request. How long, Lord? How long, Lord, are you going to put up with this? Lord, I'm tired of this. How long do you make me force me to look at sin? The Lord gives him an answer. It says, look out at the nations and pay attention. Be astounded, be really astounded, because something is happening in your lifetime that you won't believe, even if I described it down to the smallest detail. Watch out, for I am bringing in the Chaldeans. Who are the Chaldeans? Babylonians. That cruel and impetuous people who sweep across the earth, disposing people from homes not their own. They are terrible and fearsome, their brand of justice and sense of honor derived only from themselves. Their horses are swifter than leopards and more cunning than wolves that attack at night. Their horsemen are galloping as they approach from far away. They swoop in like ravenous vultures. They all come to oppress hordes of them, their faces pressing onward. They take prisoners as numerous as the desert sand. They make fun of kings, deriding those who rule. They laugh at all the fortified places, constructing ramps to seize them. Then, like the wind sweeping by, they will pass through. They're guilty because they say their power is in their God. All right. Really encouraging piece of scripture right there, right? 
So you spend 12 years asking for a response, and this is the response that God gives you, okay? All right. So let's take a minute and examine this answer. I see two things. One is that God does answer prayer, but second, he, he does the job to completion. God answers Habakkuk and basically says, don't worry about judgment. It is coming. And the Israelites are going to be going in, is going to come in the form of the Babylonians, and they're going to go into captivity. Which didn't seem like it was that bad to me. I mean, if sin is bad enough, I understand the sin needs punishment, so okay. But Habakkuk kind of had a problem with it. And why did he have a problem with it? Well, he didn't like the fact that God was going to use the Babylonians to render the judgment on the Israelites. Why? Because he felt like the Babylonians were worse than the Israelites. Okay, And if you take the fifth chapter of Daniel, you will see that they were not a very holy nation. What do you have in there? Well, Daniel 5.4, you have idol worship. You have, uh, And then in the whole chapter of Daniel 5, all forms of immorality, they were ruthless, and they were cruel. Okay, so the, ba so the Babylonians were more evil than Judah, which I think is interesting, because sometimes I think we forget that God can do anything he wants, and use whoever, whenever, and however he wants to. Because he is God. I think sometimes we underestimate God and we think that we should have to act, he should have to act a certain way. But God throughout the Bible has been doing things his own way just to keep people guessing and bring glory to his name. Okay? Here's a couple examples. You remember an incident where Jesus spit in the dirt, made mud, put it on people's eyes. That doesn't exactly fit our frame of reference for what that should happen, right? Okay? How about Samson and Jawbone? Okay? God gave Samson the power to take out a whole bunch of Philistines with what? A jawbone of a donkey. Okay, that doesn't seem like that's very possible. How about the breaking of fish? Okay, he broke a couple of fish, and all of a sudden thousands of people got fed with leftovers. Okay, like I said, he's been doing things his own way for a while. Battle of Jericho. Makes sense to walk around a city, and then the walls are going to fall down, right? Yeah, no. Okay, but yet that's what we have. Okay? God can do anything he wants, the way he wants, and he does things sometimes just to bring glory to his name. You know, uh, when, I, when I first started uh, fishing up here, I had to make a transition because the way of fishing up here didn't make any sense to me. Okay? When I fished in Texas, what would you do? You'd cast your line downstream and reel up to you. All right? That's just the way we did it. So that's what I tried to do up here. Guess what? Didn't catch anything. Not a thing. There was a fisherman we ran into who happened to be a friend of my dad's. He showed us that we had to reverse our thinking. You had to cast up river and reel down. Now, think about that for a minute. Okay? So when you cast down river and reel up, it slowly works its way back up to you. If you cast up river, the river is running with it, so you have to reel fast to keep up with the, with the flow of the river. And I'll be doggone if that didn't work. That's when we started catching steelhead and salmon. I don't know what it is, but apparently it coming this direction was not, was not natural for these fish. It had to be coming at them, okay? Sometimes things don't make sense. And God is pretty good at taking things and saying, no, we're going to do it my way, okay? So to bring this point together, God does answer prayer, but he does it on his own time schedule and the way he wants. So don't put God into a box because he will tear that little box up. Why? Because mostly I think he can all right? And lastly, we just have to be ready if God does give us an answer. Okay? Does that make sense? Because sometimes I, I think we, uh, we pray and we ask, we ask these questions, and we don't really expect 
an answer, okay? What happens when that answer comes? How are you going to respond? So the hardest part is living with the answer when you get it. Now, let's see how Habakkuk responds. If you jump over to the third chapter, verse 17, it says, Even though the fig tree does not blossom and there are no grapes on the vine, even if the olive harvest fails and the fields produce nothing edible, if the flock is snatched from the sheepfold and there is no herd in the stalls, as for me, I will rejoice in the Lord, and I will find my joy in God who delivers me. The Lord God is my strength, and he will make my feet like those of a deer equipped, equipping me to tread on mountain heights. So what was his response? As for me, I will rejoice in the Lord. Pretty impressive, huh? Habakkuk is an amazing man. Even after all of it, he gets his answers to the question he's been asking. He knows the consequences are coming. He still chooses to what? Trust the Lord and rejoice. I don't know about you, but that's a very, very hard thing to do. As I watch things unfold politically around me on a daily basis, the decisions that they make, I can see the consequences to those choices that they are making. And I'm telling you what, rejoicing in the Lord is not the first thing that comes to my mind. Okay? How about depression and maybe an urge to want to fight back? Okay? That's more where I'm at. So there are things I can learn from Habakkuk. Okay? That's where I have to take myself out of the equation and I have to remind myself that I live in a temporary place and that God is doing everything he can to draw people back to him. God has a plan and he's working that plan even if I don't like it. Look at the last couple, if you look at the last couple of chapters, we have to understand that because, just because the Babylonians were his instruments of judgment for the Israelites, it doesn't mean that the Babylonians were going to get away with their sin. Later on, you will read that the Persians overthrew who? The Babylonians. Okay? However, I want to focus on the hard part of living with the truth once you get it, and how you have to make a choice, and how you have to respond to it. Okay? Let's pull a biblical illustration. Anybody, anybody know a man named Jonah? A prophet named Jonah? Okay? He got an answer from God. He got a word from God. And that was to what? Go to Nineveh and share, and, and share with him about me. Did Jonah want to do that? No. He decided that it was better for him to jump on a boat and go the opposite direction. It didn't turn out so well for him. He got eaten by a fish, and, he was, <laughs> and in the end, he was, brought back, he was brought right back to Nineveh. Okay? So he might as well have just gone to Nineveh anyway and just bypassed the whole fish thing. Wouldn't have been as good a good Bible story, but would accomplish the same thing. Okay? But he wanted those people to suffer. He didn't want them to come to know the Lord. He didn't want to give them an opportunity to, to be forgiven. So he felt like if he didn't go, therefore God's judgment would be carried out. Well, God changed his mind, and eventually he did. The city repented, and so forth and so on. So we want to be like who? Habakkuk, that rejoices in the Lord, even though it's not the answer we want. We don't want to be like Jonah, that when we get a word from God, we turn and we run the other direction, because we don't like that word that we've been given. Okay? It's not our place to determine whether that's a good word or a bad word. It's just our job to follow out, follow with the answer that he's given us. Okay? Habakkuk accepted the answer. He understood God's justice will happen. He accepted the consequences with rejoicing. And he set a brilliant example for the way we should be living our lives. Okay? So, as we end this morning, 
I just want to tie in uh, just a couple more things. You know, uh, bad things happen as part of a fallen world. And we as, a, we, as a, we as a people have a tendency to blame God for the bad things happening when in essence, it's mostly, a lot of times it's caused by the choices and the sin of this fallen world. All right? Which brings up the next point. Just as Israel had a day of judgment for their sin, we have one coming as well. Okay? Because are we without sin? No. Okay? Someday, we're going to have to stand before the Lord and give an account of everything that we've done. And He is going to judge us. If you go to Romans 14.10, Why do you pass judgment on your brother? Or you, why do you despise your brother? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. For it is written, As I live, says the Lord, Every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall confess to God. So then each of us will give an account of himself to God. Hmm. Kind of a scary verse, right? So just like the Israelites, because of their sin, had a judgment coming, we have a judgment coming as well. Now, the question is, what's it going to look like when we're standing at that judgment seat? Okay? All right. So judgment is coming. Don't think you're going to get away from it. And the question should be, what are we going to do with the time that we have? Okay? Habakkuk had a little bit of time before the, the Babylonians were going to get there. So what do you think he was busy, busy doing? Ministering and telling people. Okay? Shouldn't that be the same for us? We should be taking the time that we have, knowing that there is going to be an end, knowing there is going to be a point where we're going to stand before God and give an account. And what would you rather have on that account? That we turned and ran away, or we what? We did our best to bring as many to Christ as we could. Okay? So, in conclusion, be careful what you pray for, because you just might get an answer. If you do get an answer, accept that answer. And lastly, use the time that you have. Okay? Because if you're like me, sometimes I forget that with everything going on in my life, there's other things outside that I need to be working on. Okay? I can get so bogged down in the stuff of everyday life, I forget sometimes that the judgment is coming and that I should be out there trying to bring as many to Christ as possible. Okay? Use the time that you have to benefit Him. All right? Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the example that Habakkuk set for us, Lord. Uh, sometimes, Lord, we get tired of being drugged through the uh, through the cow poop, Lord. And we're just holding on to that rope, hoping at some point, Lord, you can just come back and fix it all. But, Lord, we're going to continue to hold on to that rope until that time comes when you say, let go. Lord, we just want to follow you. We just want to love you. And more than anything, Lord, we just want to follow the commands that you've given us in the way that Habakkuk did, Lord. We want to rejoice understanding that you have a plan and that you're in charge. We can forget sometimes that you do have a plan and that you are in charge, Lord. Sometimes I don't understand it. I can't see the bigger picture, but you can. So, Lord, I just pray that you'll just draw us to you and remind us that we have a little bit of time and that we should be sharing the gospel with others around us. Lord, we just want to rejoice in the answers that you've given us. In your name, amen.